Fellow knowledge seekers, I hope you've had a chance to listen to the Waterline podcast on iTunes or in your Android podcast app. People ask me all the time, Shane, what's the future look like? Are we going to flourish? Are we are we going to drive ourselves to extinction? Are we going to destroy everything? Are we going to create heaven on earth? A big part of that incredibly complicated question is water. Water is absolutely fundamental to life. And knowing what is going on with water, the various technologies, the economics, political, social, behavioral, technological, and environmental aspects of water around the globe is really fundamental to understanding questions like that. And if you guys are into science and learning about things that affect our lives and the world, which I know you are, I believe the Waterline podcast is for for you. I just finished a episode called Water for All Regulation all about comparing the different regulations in different areas like the Israeli water law passed in 1959 and comparing how their system of of regulating water compares to California's model of regulating and how We might work together to figure out the best pros and the cons of different systems all around the world. Very, very important stuff. Please check out the Waterline podcast on your Android app and at the iTunes store. Hey, everybody. Before we get into today's episode, I want to first plug a good friend of mine uh you actually know his voice already even if you don't know him because he uh is uh, one of the singers and the writer and creator of the theme song of this podcast which um i i get a lot of wonderful compliments and everything else about which i then forward to him zach sherwin is his name you can go to zach uh, Z-A-C-H, Zach Sherwin, S-H-E-R-W-I-N, um, ZachSherwin.com. You can follow him at on uh, Twitter, at Zach Sherwin. And the reason why I wanted to um, bring him up today is because he just had a new album come out um, recently called Rap. And so you can go and, and check that out. I gave it a listen already. It's uh, absolutely wonderful. Um, that's rap with an exclamation mark, by the way. It is outrageous, uh, ridiculous beats with silly, beautiful, clever rhymes and so hilarious. Incredibly, a tremendously talented guy. Uh, if you want an introduction into um, uh, Zach Sherwin, if you've never checked out any of his stuff, just Google Zach Sherwin Bees. Um, it's one of the best comedy rap songs ever made, in my opinion. So funny, so talented. So please go and, you know, a lot of today's episode is about um, constructing a better society for, uh, for uh, people's well-being. And one thing we didn't cover is uh, supporting the arts is a very important part of that so please go and support zach sherwin get his new album rate it on itunes do the reviews you know the whole spiel i give you guys lectures about each week for me well now i'm asking you to do this for someone else i don't have um i don't have a big budget i don't 
pay. I'm not unfortunately able to pay people much for helping me out. So I have to call in a lot of favors from friends. Zach is one of those friends. So please uh, do some good karma and and uh, get his album. Plus, you're gonna like it. I, I shouldn't have to sell this uh, to you. It's it's gonna be awesome. Um, even if you take a listen on Spotify or something like that to a couple songs. You're going to see how amazing it is, and you're going to want to buy it on iTunes to support the wonderful Zach Sherwin. Thank you guys for listening. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. I'm uh, I'm super excited today. This is this is my fourth day of doing these interviews at ASU, and I've been able to get a wide variety of guests studying um, a myriad of interesting things. And this one is no different. Um, please welcome my guest for this week's episode, Scott Cloutier, who is the assistant research professor at ASU. Thanks for joining me, Scott. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so what do you, uh, what do you study? This is a very, very interesting thing. It seems very interdisciplinary and, um, and uh, very important and, uh, meaningful. Sure. So what, uh, can you describe what it is that you do? Sure. Yeah. So I'm interested in how, uh, sustainability translates into opportunities for happiness. And so, how our communities might influence uh, opportunities for people to pursue happiness right near home. That's interesting. Yeah. So, so what we can do as a society to build something that will be, that will make individuals happier. Hopefully. That's right. So, were you uh, were you big into playing Sims? Uh, in your youth, is, is I did that. play Sims as a kid actually quite a bit, and used to build uh, matchbox forts and all that kind of stuff too. So oh, nice. that was always interesting to me. But the Sims really took it up a notch with having that interaction with, I guess, living beings on the computer too. So yeah, that's yeah, I mean that's yeah, what yeah. you're trying to do now, that's right? right? Yeah. Just well, a, in a sense, just a real life yeah. version. So I'm really interested in how. Um, especially neighborhoods that already exist, you know, and so those tend to get forgotten about when it comes to uh, development and moving forward. And and we get excited about building new places, but there's a lot of places that are left behind that need a lot of work. And so I think if we focus on something like happiness, you start to really think about the people living in the neighborhood more than just the physical place. Hmm. So what uh, what areas are you focusing on? Sure. When when trying to create this idea of happiness from such a large scale? Yeah. So my background actually is in engineering, and so I started working in systems uh, like water and waste and transportation. And one of the things that always kind of bothered me about that is that we were never really talking about the people within the system. And so I started thinking about well, how might you design these systems to um, and really think about people and how it might influence people the way you design things and how might people want them designed. And it kind of just segued nicely into neighborhood development and started to think about how water and waste and transportation and business and economic development and these types of subsystems would uh, influence happiness. So, um, so things like uh, 
maybe <laughs> are you pro or, or against the old dumb I, I always hear the the stories i uh, i'm from uh i'm from a small town in wisconsin but my my father's from the smallest town ever in this little town in Iowa. Mm -hmm. And we were driving through recently and he showed me where like the old dump was and everything. Yeah. Uh, obviously not terribly sustainable, but that seemed like a lot of fun yeah, back, yeah. back in the day before you knew all of the harm that you were doing. Yeah, you yeah. just get to go out and whip all your <laughs> junk it's into funny. a pile. Well, I, used, I grew up next to one of those actually just down the street and we used to ride our bikes down there and, smash tv screens and throw tvs into cars and all kinds of stuff and so and it so was a happiness yeah, for yeah. level uh, for kids <laughs> that was fun for me yeah, yeah. it's a paradise that's yeah, true <laughs> but sustainability probably quite low really really low yeah. sustainability so you got to find some balance that's right in there so when you're approaching say waste so what kind of things are you thinking about with um, with waste management with happiness sure. in mind? Yeah, so I think you're definitely thinking about connections between health and the actual end products, right? And so you're thinking about how the waste is disposed, how it's moved, you know, are there composting opportunities within the neighborhood that can lead towards growing food, um, you know, minimizing a footprint, but also at the same time, what are trade-offs that kind of optimize these opportunities for happiness. And so a lot of times it's boiled down to um, social connections. Social connections is one of the number one things that influences our happiness. And so if you have strong social connections, you typically tend to be happier. And so in a neighborhood where there's um, composting programs or things like that, you might have an opportunity to interact with more people. How, what are these composting programs look like? Sure. So, I mean, it's, you know, they're different everywhere. And, you know, somewhere where I visited, like Germany, where they have bins for, for food waste and all the different recyclables, you know, and that's very much a governmental it's like thing. in a place? Well, so, yeah, so that would be a more governmental example. But then there's other actual communities that have places where you can bring your, your organic waste to a, a small area in the neighborhood, like a community garden, and they'll compost that material, and then you can use it to grow your vegetables and fruits and things like that. Oh, so, they compost, and then you can get soil or fertilizer that's or whatever right. from yeah. them. Yep, and there's other ones that are city-led where you they come and pick it up at the curb and they bring it. Like, for instance, in Ithaca, New York, where I lived, they would come and pick up your yard waste, and, and, and then they would take it and compost it at a facility. And you could go over and pick up some buckets of compost for free. Um, the, I mean, this is just one example, but the idea is that you're you're thinking about sustainability, right? So you're thinking about how um, this stuff might go into a landfill, which isn't necessarily sustainable, and we can keep it out of the landfill and use it for uh, compost for growing plants and vegetables and things like that. But there's also the whole social side of um, connections between people that you might meet just as a part of that composting program or even just a part of the community garden in the neighborhood. And then also there's the health benefits of locally grown produce. And a lot of the neighborhoods that I tend to work in um, don't have access to those. They're, they're what are called uh, food deserts where there's not a lot of opportunity to purchase healthy food nearby for an affordable price. And hmm. so something like that in a neighborhood would be really useful. That's interesting. And the other thing, the, aspect about that is is uh with with some of this kind of um uh, guidance from an engineer point of view is keeping in mind that 
individuals don't always know what is in their best interest. And I think we're all victims of this. Uh, me personally, when you talk about how good it is to, uh, you know, social interactions where we, we've evolved to be social creatures and we really feed off of that and everything else. I mean, consciously, I, in my mind, I, cause I spend a lot of time alone in a hotel room traveling on the road and everything. And I've, I've talked about this with, um, uh, like this guy, Nick Epley in Chicago, we, we talked about, he had a lot of research showing that, um, if you go up and approach strangers and in, in a day, you'll be happier. And I kind of was arguing, um, for the introvert, um, because in my mind I am, um, like I will be happier just like sitting and reading a book and like not being bothered by people or whatever, but I have recently like i i I'm now have roommates for the first time in because i ended a relationship and i broke both my feet and so and I, i'm never at home anyway and i wanted something cheap i have roommates for the first time in 12 years or or something like that and at first i was like oh this is awful like i would i would before i moved in even though uh, some of them were friends of mine and everything, I was like, I, I'll be so much happier once I'm back out living on my own again. And, and having just like people out and interacting with people during the day when I'm just going out to get a cup of coffee or whatever else has, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I'm so much happier than I normally am, even though consciously I kind of, you know, wouldn't have thought that would have been the case. And I think that's kind of, you know, so, so driving people to be more, uh, that, that I'm just trying to use that as a metaphor to what people seem to be doing. Whereas in our culture, it seems like a lot of people are isolating themselves. You stick, you just, you get done with work. You want to go and hang out in front of the TV or whatever. And, um, and I really think it will make a difference. Anything that we can do to get people to get out and start, especially within small communities and everything else, which is getting lost in big cities. Yeah, it is. And I mean, I think it's even getting lost in small cities so I, or small towns. I grew up in a really small town, too, of just a couple thousand people uh, in high school. And um, it was a very, um, I guess, isolating experience in a lot of ways if you didn't have those connections with friends that you hung out with after school. And luckily, I had a group of kids that I played street hockey with or, or football or things like that. Um, and I think, you know, I think about that stuff a lot. And so I think it's um mike and i have talked about mike angeletta and i have talked a lot about this about how technology is also something that really isolates us as well as far as we're very socially connected through through things like uh, facebook and twitter and things like that but we spend so much time staring at our phone that we we're missing that eye to eye contact and that social interaction and so we evolved we evolved in that way to be very social and have packs and and feel like you're part of a pack and feel like you belong and we're removing ourselves uh we're distancing distancing ourselves more and more from that kind of every day like you mentioned yeah it's a, well it's interesting too i i i'd never heard of uh anytime i'd heard um talk of compost i always just picture it like in someone's backyard I, this is the first I've heard about like a community compost system. It's a, one of the things that I like about that, um, idea is that it's giving people an opportunity to advertise to like what good people they are, you know, rather than, rather than, um, uh, 
trying to impress people by having the fanciest, seeing how much money you can burn on, you know, whatever, um, Prada or whatever, which I certainly I've been guilty of, um, because I have to be on stage in front of a bunch of people and everything else. But, um, uh, but rather than that, giving people an opportunity to, um, to be like, hey, hey, look, at, we're all doing something good together, and I'm a part of this, and it's kind of, it's kind of like the, um, the argument for uh, like church and these kind of organizations, which even if you don't necessarily like, I'm not a religious person, even if you don't uh, aren't necessarily the most into recycling or the most into whatever it is, there can still be um, adding this community element. Um, it really adds a lot of value. Yeah, that's right. And so I, I work, I said, as I said, I work in um, what we define as poor neighborhoods monetarily, but they're actually not poor at all when it comes to uh, social connections. And a lot of that is through things like religion, where they have, you know, the church, the church, there's a church in the neighborhood that I work at that is always busy and hopping with people. And, and uh, it's just kind of their social hub of the neighborhood. And even in a place like Guatemala, where I've worked, you go down there and uh, they're so tightly bonded around their beliefs and their, their religion and their spiritual systems. Uh, and I think that's something that you know, it's, it's not even necessarily, I grew up as a Catholic and it's not even necessarily something that, it's definitely not something I practice now or, or have to believe in, but I really believe in a strong sense of connecting to something. And so whatever that is, it is important to be a part of that. And so like you said, if it was a softball yeah, yeah, league right, or, or right. whatever yeah, uh, totally. is the point. I don't mean to like no, call out religion no, or great. it doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, I think it's great that you did because it's a great talking point that um, a, a lot of this isn't necessarily... And this is what frustrates me a lot is that we don't need to design our, our way out of this stuff with technology or with, um, you know, the greenest building on the face of the earth. That stuff is great. And I think that are you are you telling me that hovercrafts aren't going to make <laughs> us as happy as I think that they're well, going they, to? Yeah, they might initially. That'd be kind of fun to write <laughs> in. But I think on the long term, you know, it's it's got to be more about using those things as tools. You know, those are just tools to kind of address what people really want and so at the end of the day it really does if you want to understand how to make people happier you need to engage people and you need to understand what challenges they face and typically you're going to find that those are very low level issues you know as far as safety or crime or i hate my neighbor because my neighbor you know that leaves her dog out barking all day and these are real issues that you have to address before you can even begin to kind of scrape the surface of um, sustainability issues and so you can't just go into a neighborhood and put in a community garden or throw down solar panels and call it sustainable, right? Because people need to buy in and accept it. They need to be heard. And that's a challenge. It's, it's something that scares a lot of people away from the work that I do because it's not, it's not an overnight process. It's a long-term process. And you typically are going to deal with um, strong-headed residents who there's always some underlying truth to what they say. And, and there's a lot of passion and you need to be prepared for those kind of situations. And so Another kind of thing that I've talked about, and it's interesting, this just this podcast, is that uh, comedy is a great kind of humor is a great avenue to kind of connect with people in that way. And so um, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to plug things or not like that. But Well, well yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, I, I, people always come up to me after shows. People see stand-up on TV, and they're like, oh, I, I like that, or that was entertaining, or a lot of time maybe they didn't 
like it. But they can. The point is, they could go and see a person that maybe they didn't even like their clip on the internet or on whatever late show or whatever, and they can go to a live show and they'll walk away going, you know, this is their first comedy show ever, and they don't know what to expect, and they'll walk away being like, "Wow, that was amazing! That was so much more fun." than I anticipated it being. And people, people don't really understand the, the influence of being in a group of people. And, I mean, comics all know that you want, like, low ceiling, so the sound of everyone else is bouncing around and, and laughter is contagious and you want to group everyone together. You know, I'm sure when you're giving lectures or whatever, you, it's a lot easier to have everyone grouped together rather than spread out all over the place. And, um, in that energy in the room, I mean, sometimes people are in a comedy club and they're laughing and they might not even know like what they're laughing at. They're just a part of this, this thing. And maybe they're, um, laughing with strangers next to them and meeting new people and, and everything else. And, and especially as opposed to which, um, uh, because another thing that you study is um, is like the uh, consumer behavior sure. and um, and uh, says on your site I'll I'll just, sure. I'll just plagiarize it is it um, sustainability framing and connections between external influences influences and human action sure we've talked a bit about this on the podcast with um with various guests like um Joe Goodman and Celine Malcoach um and Morgan Ward uh, about the idea of the difference of between kind of passive uh leisure and active leisure mm-hmm. like actually just getting out going for a hike or or going and seeing whatever entertainment you're into live rather than just sitting at home by yourself doing it and uh, we might not be consciously aware of it but the after effects of a lot of the subconscious processes and and um, stimulus that's happening end up leading um, to people having a a lot higher well-being yeah you're definitely right and so i think it's um the further i've kind of kind of gotten along in my career the further away i'm getting from um this rigorous math and science which in those tools are always there in my back pocket if they're needed but it's really coming down to human behavior and so how people first of all why people act the way that they do you know why do they act why do they make the choices that they make and then how might um we help help humans be able to make decisions that could maximize their well-being and happiness over time and so the community is definitely a big part of that you know so it's the way that our communities are designed especially in phoenix if if you kind of drive around is there's huge six foot cinder block walls and there's uh, not a whole lot of interaction between people and that's something that's really discouraging and somewhere like i grew up in new hampshire you know your your next closest neighbor could be maybe within shouting distance and in some places it's you know it's definitely a car drive away and so there's benefits and trade-offs to that as well and so really thinking about um how humans interact and then how that those interactions kind of influence their well-being and their happiness is really important to me and i think around that whole that whole framing is that then you think about okay now how can we design this community in a way to maximize those opportunities for interaction or for 
um, you know, self self actualization or or just a sense of connectedness to place and history and culture and things like that. Hmm. I mean, I think on a non-conscious level, we are all kind of going after the same thing, whether we recognize it or not. I mean, I think this is why TV is so entertaining is because it is feeding a a little bit of the, it's almost like a super stimulus for social interaction uh, at at the time where we're like, oh, this is exciting. And you get to know these people on TV and it's like they're friends of yours. You know, it's almost like, um, you know, you know, heroin being the super stimulus of of these natural endorphins that you might feel from exercise or something, uh, something else. I, I think it's probably activating the same ish mechanisms but there's no lasting effect from tv it's this one-way thing it's this passive interaction at the end of the day you turn it off and these people aren't your friends sure. you don't actually you haven't actually gained anything from sure. it yeah so that's a concept called the hedonic treadmill where we all have kind of this um baseline level of happiness and some say that it's science says that it's genetic you know that we have varying levels that you set but you always kind of return to this baseline of happiness so like you said you might watch tv and you get a boost in it and you kind of return back to your baseline and and this kind of happens throughout life and so one thing that mike angeletta and i have been talking about a lot is well how can we optimize choices over time so that you're kind of staying off that treadmill and you're kind of just elevated above your baseline level and so maybe that's um having choices of things to do and so Typical humans will go home and watch TV every night or might, you know, have the same meal three times a week. I'm like probably that, just right? dwelling on TV because <laughs> yeah. I myself yeah, watch TV. way too much TV. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> and an easy it thing to do. It ruins my life. Yeah. There's easy habits to fall into. And even exercise. I mean, exercise, I've been guilty of over-exercising and doing things too many, you know, uh, just doing it too much. And so there's this idea of diminishing returns where you watching TV or watching a movie or listening to the song for the first time. It's like this amazing rush and high, uh, or eating a, eating some play at fe, like for fast food. And for instance, I'm not a big fast food person, but I do love in and out. And I can yeah. remember visiting the West coast and I having in and out. It's so good. It and I remember having it and just being like, man, this is the best thing on earth, you know? And then you go back home to New Hampshire and you come back a couple of years later and have it again. And now it's here at my fingertips and I still have it, you know, once or twice a month, maybe sometimes three or four. And um, it's delicious, but it's just not the same as when you had it, you know, once every year or, you know, a couple times a year. And so that's kind of the idea of um, all these things in your neighborhood or even just anything in your life is that you have these choices to make that can be daunting and overwhelming. And it's easy to get into a rut of just making the same choice or. Uh, uh, I'm like a things. sucker for candy. <laughs> yeah, there's that's like right. in this there green room, uh, there's all these jelly beans in the green room at the club I'm performing at. And it's like they're there and I just can't stop eating them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's like afterwards, I'm like my gut doesn't <laughs> feel right. And like uh, I feel like my energy is uh, is that's weird. Right. Like it peaked and crashed or something, you know, a little sugar rush. And it's like, but it seems, you know, that thing's doing something for your instincts where it's like, ooh, this will make me feel good right now. But it, it's this, this idea of, like you said, the hedonic treadmill. And, and I mean, there's so many examples of this where they have people that, 
either lost a limb or won the lottery. That's right. You know, these extreme kind of things that can happen. And, and it is horrible or amazing for a little while. And then kind of people just end up going back to this baseline. And so your idea is doing these smaller things to bump this baseline up that's a little right. bit. That's right. And that's the same thing with design in neighborhoods or even just kind of individual choices. So if you, if you maximize, that's what I mean by maximizing opportunities is giving people lots of choices within their neighborhood that are sustainable in nature, you know, so if it be a park nearby that captures rainwater and uses it to grow vegetables or, or whatnot, you know, you can work those aspects into it. But the big thing is that people have choices to do a variety of things that can maximize their happiness and that be that health or their values or their connections with family and place and that type of stuff. So, um, it's not it's not that it's rocket science, but it's it's complicated and as far as uh, trying to figure out how do you? Well, when of you're talking like water, I mean, yeah. this all sounds like oh yeah, that seems like an easy enough thing to yeah, do. Yeah. And that's like okay, so how do you do that from a water management point of view? Uh, I don't know. That's right. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I'm very interested in is how these how these. I'm really looking at how these systems influence well being, and then also. Um, once you figure out kind of how they influence well-being, then how can you tweak them and, and see if it maximizes well-being in some different way? Uh, and so it really is a lifetime of work, but I think it's something that's really important. And so I have I have twin boys that are here on the planet, you know, and um, I want to do whatever I can to kind of give them the best opportunity to be happy in their life. And so I think if you focus on the neighborhood level, that's something where you really kind of are at a scale where if you can make some change on a neighborhood level, then maybe a city takes notice and the city starts to do some things differently and maybe it spreads from there. Uh, and that's kind of the concept. Why, why don't they just have you go in and fix Detroit <laughs> since there's like, since there's uh, nothing but opportunity yeah. there. You can only go up. Yeah. Detroit's Get Detroit actually, going again yeah. and, uh, and then maybe people will take notice, which from what I hear, I think it is ma- making some turns. It is. Detroit's actually a place that I would love to do some work right now. There's, um, it's kind of like you said, there's a lot of opportunity and so there's a lot of great people. There's actually a student here that just, um, put in for an opportunity to go there and be part of these kind of opportunities, these kind of uh, events and design. And, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a blank slate, but it's pretty close to, and there's a lot of opportunity to do some really cool stuff there and focus on something different than economic production and, and development. I remember reading ideas and I, I, I don't know how, how much they've taken off or what exactly they're doing in Detroit, but it's like, it seems like what a wonderful idea where they, they have all these houses that are now like abandoned basically, but there's still some people living in this neighborhood. So for these people living in this neighborhood, let's just tear down these abandoned houses, give them a larger yard and now they can actually make something out of this and have something that looks nice. Now, when you're driving through the area, uh, you know, it, you only have a few houses that you need to work on upkeeping and you have nice lush yards and everything else rather than just a whole bunch of abandoned crack houses or whatever that scare the hell out of people. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely one great example going on. There, there's a lot of things going on with uh, urban renewal and transportation and, you know, it's, it, it's uh, something that needs to take place everywhere. And the funny thing is, this is something that is... 
Uh, it's a rampant problem in, you know, here in Phoenix, it is in New Hampshire, it is in Guatemala, it is all over the world, you know, all the places I was in the military and I traveled all over the world and you see these things firsthand. And so it's concerning. Where did you go in the military? Oh, I, all over the Mediterranean, to Turkey, Egypt, Russia, you know, the Ukraine. So um, I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of terrible things. Um, I've seen a lot of great things, and I've seen a lot of terrible things as far as extreme poverty and inequity. And it, it just makes you think about, you know, what kind of legacy do we want to leave as humans? Do we want to leave a legacy where we? Uh, only a certain class of people, you know, rises to the top or do we really want something where everyone has an opportunity? And I think that that is, it comes down to an issue of values and morals and that type of stuff. But that's kind of what springboarded me into this higher level kind of quest for thinking about the way that we might move forward. And not only that, but uh, let's say, Okay, yeah, we we do want a system where uh, just a one percent rises to the top and they have it great, and and everyone else, you know, is in slave labor and poverty or whatever else. Well, it'd be one thing if that class at the top was actually happy, yeah, <laughs> like if that's great. if all of that stuff <laughs> actually made them happy. That's right. That would be one thing. But even the one percent isn't even. You know, you watch you watch Cribs or something on MTV, That's and right. it's like they're bragging about the magic happening and all this, and it looks great on TV. But you know, that's a big old empty house where they're sitting, and like they have a whole bunch of empty rooms because they can't trust anyone in their lives anymore. All their friends have used them, and they excluded that. And that's the stuff that you don't hear about. That's you right. know, it's presenting this this narrative, this fiction, this weird uh, which. I certainly used to be very much the American dream. I think we're making some strides getting away from that. Yeah, a little bit. I'm hoping so. You know, so there, there's studies that talk about $75,000 in the U.S. being the, you know, kind of the cap of where, you know, returns on happiness kind of diminish and level off. And so, um, yeah, not that it won't make you possibly a little more happy to have right. a little more but a- after 75,000 it's really just it, the difference that it makes is not going to be much at all just like working out more that's right at a certain point yeah that's right and so I think that um, there's just something to be thought about there and, and another thing too that really kind of inspires my work on this is that the people that I work with in these neighborhoods in these countries they are they're the kind of people that I would want uh, raising my kids and watching my kids and showing my kids how to how to be good people they're they're really incredible people with big hearts and they are incredibly passionate about their culture and their their neighborhood and they're concerned about you know how how their history is going to be passed forward and so honestly at the end of the day i think that it it comes down to people need to get back to this idea again of social connectedness and starting to really interact with one another and, and starting to see that there's a lot of common bonds that we all share in common struggles. And so, um, that's what I wanted to ask you about with all of your travels and, you know, you see, um, a a bunch of sad things. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've, you had some great experiences and saw some lovely places as well, but in, in, when you see all of these problems in different areas, in 
um, different cultures, different people, everything else. Are you seeing um, trends in what's going wrong? Are you, are you seeing a lot of differences? Um, what what are you what are you learning from the diversity of of your experiences of of seeing you know the poor waste management in different kinds of areas? Is it the same thing that they're doing wrong and everywhere or? Sure. So in a lot of places, you know, with waste management, for instance, there are a lot of similarities. You know, there's not a larger, you know, places like Guatemala or uh, even Egypt where I visited. There's not a lot of um, kind of municipal waste type management systems in play. And so you start to see a lot of what you would, I guess what you would call a dump right in someone's backyard or in the middle of the neighborhood or in Guatemala it could just be on the side of the road somewhere where somebody throws some bags of trash and all of a sudden it turns into a landfill. Um, so there's a, those common bonds. But then on the more positive side of things too, there's these 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 countries are uh, incredibly... Um, the people living in these countries and, and, and what we define as poverty, uh, which it is poverty, are incredibly resilient and... Um, connected and they have these connections that remind me of you know my family when I was a little kid that would get together and play music and and they would just you know play music and hang out and drink and just be really social and and that's kind of fading away even with my generation we don't do that as much you know we're living all over and everyone's the world. scared too yeah, yeah, right? Right. like there's just nothing but uh, pedophiles and rapists and murderers everywhere you look so this is another part of the like turn off the stupid news it's no reflection of reality whatsoever go out and actually take a look around in your community and you'll see that the world's not full of all of the bad guys that you see on the news that's the one salient that's the stuff that sells a bunch of bullcrap that's right well the media does a good job of playing all these or, or showing you know the first 55 minutes of their hour of news is all bad stuff and at the end they have one good story of someone rescuing a cat or <laughs> yeah or, uh, squirrel on skis yeah, yeah that's right it's squirrel on skis so <laughs> i think again that's just a matter of perception but people it's funny that no one no one goes oh the whole world's a bunch of squirrels skiing around everywhere they they understand that that isn't reality but they can't uh, we we i don't mean to exclude myself from this have a hard time processing the idea that uh, that uh, just because you saw a few people that committed a crime that doesn't mean there's a bunch of criminals out there that's, that's right. the reason why those are stories was because those were the two little incidents that happened in thousands or millions of people that's right. Yeah, and I think another mistake that people make is, and this is something that came up at a community meeting lately or recently, is that they feel like um, people living in neighborhoods, you know, uh, lower income neighborhoods, feel like this is something that's unique to their neighborhood with um, people being shot and things like that. And there's definitely neighborhoods where there's higher rates of drugs and, and, and crime and things like that. But even, you know, one gentleman that joined us is from a nicer neighborhood and said, you know, this just happened. A couple months ago in my neighborhood, somebody was shot just around the corner from us. And so it's not unique. It, there's small incidences, but it's not also something that's unique to any one neighborhood in most cases, too. And so I think we need to think more about things like media and how we connect with humans and start to think about how 
we can get people thinking differently about the world around them. That's definitely important. And I always think back to my family from New Hampshire who a lot of them haven't traveled the world and a lot of my friends and, and they forget. Makes a that, big yeah, difference. Really I mean, does. it's such a, I, I really feel like I've, I've been given such wonderful opportunities because I had no idea how much you would learn getting to travel and, and it's amazing. see different places. Yeah, it's amazing. It's an amazing opportunity. It makes you think about the world differently for sure. Um, but uh, sorry, I cut you off. No, you're a fine. Bit. You're fine. Yeah. Um, but um, so you met, you mentioned Guatemala a couple times because um, you don't go down there quite a bit, right? What What are you doing down in in Guatemala? Yeah, so we're working with um, a few different neighborhoods down there, communities, really thinking about how sustainability and sustainable neighborhoods for happiness can kind of come to fruition down there, and so. Um, looking at there's huge issues of waste and so we're thinking about generating putting together a program developing a landfill that there's actually people that live on the landfill right now that sort the trash and waste and and they live in houses made of trash and little like couches in the middle of the landfill and stuff and it's 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 heart-wrenching in some sense but they're actually kind of happy having that opportunity to do that work and make some money. And so one thing we're looking at is working closely with the residents to develop some kind of small little eco village on the landfill and then also correcting the landfill so that it's something that's environmentally sustainable. Um, and so that's one approach we're looking at. And then we're looking at also kind of uh, working in a rural area, Chocola, and, and thinking about how we might be able to help them uh, in any way they want. And so it's the funny thing is, is I never go down or to Guatemala or I don't, the places I don't work, I don't go in with an agenda. My only agenda is to connect with the residents and find out what they need. And then using my sustainability knowledge and background to kind of bring the two together nicely and focus on happiness. Why don't we talk about the, um, kind of the nine different areas sure. that, that you're focusing on, sure. um, when, when trying to put together this this overall goal sure yeah so there's there are nine so that you're so we get... mentioned water management yep. and waste management sure. already yep transportation so looking at how aspects of sustainable transportation and even just kind of walkability and and just uh, individual mobility about a neighborhood how those influence opportunities for well-being there's um I, i'm i'm here in um Oh, is this Tempe? This it is. is okay, yeah, this is Tempe. Tempe. Yep. All right. Um, so I'm here as I'm spending most of my time in Scottsdale, so I get mixed up. But uh, anyway, um, if all around Tempe, I, I see there's all these signs everywhere and, and, and all over the campus here. There's, there's um, oh, what is it? The, the walk only or walk whatever. Only and, and then there's all over the streets. There's the banners about um, sustainable transportation, about uh, riding bicycles and using public transportation. And um, I'm impressed. I've I've never seen um, so much effort uh, put into... to one area to really get the word out there. Sure. Yeah, Tempe and, and also Arizona State are doing some great things when it comes to mobility around Tempe. I mean, they it's a college city and there's, you know, I happen to love a lot of the college cities because there's this opportunity to do this, uh, to offer lots of modes for transportation and students obviously aren't all going to have cars. Um, and so there's lots of great, I'm, I'm able to bike back and forth to work every day and, 
Um, it's safe and there's bike lanes and there's there's walk-only zones for basically so people don't get hit by skateboarders and, and bike, you know, people riding around on their bikes too. Um, Tempe's doing some great things when it comes to transportation. And there's some studies that were just released that found that people that cycle to work uh, tend to be happier than those that don't. And, uh, and then also people that ride public transportation tend to be happier as well. And so a lot of that, again, boils down for me to social connections and also kind of being in nature. So when I'm on my bike and I'm riding, it's, it's very much a different experience than being in the bubble of my car, you know, and, and sitting at a stoplight. And so getting angry. That's right. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and here in Phoenix, the traffic is, as you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not as bad as LA, but it's right behind it for sure. And so it's challenging. Um, and the more you can get people out of their cars and onto their bikes, I mean, there's health benefits, there's social connection benefits and, well, in L.A., oh, yeah. it's like, because uh, I, I drive, every, everyone in L.A. drives everywhere. I have this roommate that started biking everywhere instead, and he's always raving about it. And now that I have, uh, I was on crutches for a long time, but now that I have, I'm on a cane now, and bikes, bicycling is something that's really good for my physical therapy because it's not like totally weight bearing sure. on my foot. So I started biking around a little bit and as like, well, I mean, part of it's just like that I had freedom for the first time in 11 months. But I went, I went for my first bike ride and I don't know how many years, like a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, this is amazing. Right. This is the happiest I've been. And yeah. I don't know how long, but I mean, in LA, it, if you have a five mile drive, that could take you 45 minutes. Whereas if you just cycle, you could get there in less time or yeah. the same amount of time or whatever, and yeah. you're getting some exercise along the way. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, it's, I, mine's a two mile ride and it takes me 10 minutes to get here, you know, and that's pretty casual and a shirt and tie. And so, um, and you don't have to look for the parking spaces and that's right. Else. No, that's in that and parking on any college campus typically is a big issue. And so it is, it's a freeing thing and it's a freeing thing to be able to just take your bike and ride somewhere and lock it to a bike rack or a tree or whatever and walk in and do what you need to do and come back out and jump right on your bike again, rather than going to a parking garage and trying to get your ticket validated or paying an outrageous price to, you know, park there or something like that. So uh, but here in Tempe, we have to deal with the issue of 115 degrees, and so that's not always so fun. But it's uh, it's an amazing thing, and and that's something that wouldn't work really well in New Hampshire. So in New Hampshire, you know, my my commute to school when I was doing my undergrad was 20 minutes or so, and so that would be a pretty brutal bike ride and not a very safe bike ride. And so it doesn't work everywhere, but yeah, but I mean, there, then there's still, I mean, there's a lot of countries doing like the light rails. That's true. And, yeah, that's and very so true. there's certainly lots of other options that's that right. are better than what we're doing. That's right. Now. Yeah. It, I would, I would love, I, I wish that, um, uh, I've taken Amtrak only a few times because it's only worked out a few because the it's so hard to um, have it make sense because of the the lack of of um, different routes Um, and and so it can if you want to get from point A to point B there's rarely a straight line of a train to get there. And if there was, I would love to just take that train. It's cheaper. It's just so much more pleasant than, than dealing with the whole airport thing and everything else. And for people that are scared of flying, it would be a better option, but no one, 
but it, it's hard to because um, because they don't have enough routes because there's not a demand for it. So it's like it's hard to get the ball rolling. If there's more of a demand, maybe there would be more options, and then that would create more of a demand. Uh, you know, if it was if they were making it more convenient for people, and then certainly places like I, I mean, I think they're working on putting some light rail between L.A. and San Francisco right now, some big project, which would be amazing. But it seems like if we just got the ball rolling on some of that stuff, that uh, that it would make life so much better. Yeah, I think it would, but I think it also boils down again to how much of an idea do people have that this would make their life better, and so. These things typically have a high capital cost, you know, and so cities and and government need to invest a lot of money in these programs and these kind of transportation uh, systems, and that's the whole idea of thinking about about this all in terms of happiness is that people can start to see that, and even even the the government and the companies that advertise these things like the, there's benefits and cost savings for sure. Uh, and there's benefits for the earth, and that's that's okay. That resonates with some people. But the real benefit could be that it's going to make you happier to do this and make you more efficient. You know, a lot of these things, the light rail here in Phoenix, you can work on the light rail while you're going into work, um, and you get such a chance to sit and talk with people and just kind of enjoy your ride into work, right, rather than being stressed out. And that's kind of that's one of the number one things that destroys happiness is a commute um, for obvious reasons. You know, being alone, being isolated all the all the emissions and things that go along with that and so the whole concept of happiness is just thinking about things in a different light like really starting to boil it down to human-centered design rather than economic development-centered design or environment-centered design and that's one thing i always kind of get irate about is that sustainability isn't about saving the environment it's about saving our own asses right it's about saving who we are as people because the earth will spit us out without question if we piss it off enough. Yeah, a rock doesn't yeah. care about yeah. you. It's That's just right. it's a rock. That's it's right. going to be there. That's right. <laughs> whether you are or That's not, right. it doesn't care what's growing on top of it. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's exactly right. So all these environmental systems that we rely on for for our own sustenance, they could shift and be something completely different and we will die off. And so I want to be very clear that the reason that I focus on happiness is because it's very much focused on people. Yeah, well, I I mean, we can also try to shift just what people take pride in, you know? I mean, people take a lot of pride in, we have the best tanks that there are, and stealth bombers, and and all all this other, and and not even... uh, yeah, from uh, like some anti-war, dirty hippie liberal perspective, even even just like uh, it, even even if we're saying, hey, maybe maybe you shouldn't um, uh, drive a big SUV anymore, doesn't doesn't even need to be about um, the amount of gas that you save, although that's a huge part of it but but it it can just be like hey this guy's a douchebag do you want to be a douchebag and and drive a big bright yellow hummer around like that might be cool for a day but now you're just a dick and and if we can start shifting that perception um that that will be the incentive for people to start recycling which i'm 
terrible at yeah. and uh, start using public transportation and everything, which I'm also terrible at, you That's know, right. and, and I, I, the thing is, is like, I'm just as guilty as so many people with all of this uh, stuff. But, um, but it, it at least helps to start informing ourselves and start thinking about things in a different way is, is one of the first steps anyway. That's right, man. For me, that's where it's at. I mean, that's the number one thing is where it's at is getting people engaged and involved and educated and not educated in a sense where we preach and just, um, tell them how it is or how it should be, but more showing them by example of what, what life could be. So from a design perspective, if you offer transportation options that are timely and, and, um, scalable and also you know easy to understand a lot of it is complex a lot of it you have to you know traveling in europe you have to hop on and off all these different trains and and it can be overwhelming but once the system becomes kind of um fine-tuned and and there's like you said if there's a simple light rail from la to san francisco then people will start to understand that that's something that they can use Uh, and then if we can start talking about things like well-being and happiness I mean, everyone's after happiness. That's right. That's right. Just no one has a clue as to how to go about it. I mean, I mean, some people think they know and they're wrong or whatever, but a lot of people I think are just clueless. They just don't know. I think a lot of people don't even think about it. Yeah. Like don't even think twice about what they're doing. And we like, we like to buy stuff and we get those little bumps in our happiness, you know, when we buy things. And I mean, I think most of us have gone through that experience of buying a new car, buying some expensive Absolutely. purchase we know we shouldn't be buying and then it feels great for a couple of days and then it just feels the same again right and so yeah sometimes i'll just buy myself it's like like i feel like oh, i'm a little worried about things i'll actually it'll be when i'm low on money that i'll splurge on something right. it's 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 like a, a signal to myself that's like uh, i'm doing okay otherwise why would i have just spent a hundred dollars on appetizers that, that's uh, right <laughs> some crazy sushi place or something like that yeah that's right and so that's why it's it comes down to this idea of experiential purchases and so um you know one thing that that i that i have done recently i grew up as a kid playing video games but i bought uh, a playstation 3 to play online with my with my nephews to play video games online and i was pretty terrible for a long time playing with them but i've gotten relatively good at it and but the biggest thing is that i spend so much time with them and talking to them and hearing them grow up. And um, those are the kind of purchases we need to make. And there's a great researcher at San Francisco State University, Ryan Howell, who I've done some work with on happiness. And he talks a lot about these kind of experience, experiential purchases. And so, for instance, buying tickets to go to see your comedy show would be something that you buy the ticket and the ticket's a physical thing, but there's the experience of going and laughing and connecting with the audience and connecting with you. This is the whole point of my podcast. I'm just going around (laughs) getting getting the top minds in the country to talk about why they should go and why people should go and see live. Scientific. (laughs) Giving you scientific plugs. This is a fact. Everybody come and see my show. (laughs) For sure. I mean, it's something it's those kind of things are really important and spent the way we spend our money is really important too. So, um, yeah. so, so we, we covered water management, yep. waste management, transportation. Yep. Let's keep going. Yeah. So there's uh, food. So food is a big one, obviously. And I think that, um, that one's pretty simple. The healthier you can eat, the better you're going to feel. And, um, so it's this idea of offering local healthy foods, 
Um, but it can't be foods that are pushed on people. It's going to be foods that people are willing to eat. And so that's kind of, again, interacting with the residents, finding out what they like, what healthy foods they'd like to have, and then how might you bring those things to the community. So in some neighborhoods, it might be a community garden. Some neighborhoods, residents don't want community gardens because they don't want to manage it. They want to have a small garden in their backyard. In other neighborhoods, it's having a truck, food truck, go to the neighborhood once a week, and people can go out and shop at the truck for an affordable price. I eat, um, I, I like fruit in general True. anyway, but I eat way more fruit in L.A. than I normally would because I just don't make it to the grocery store and True. everything else is being on the road and you know, everything's crazy. I'm sure a lot of people run in this predicament. Life's right. crazy. It's hard to make time to go and get what you want. Well, in L.A., there's like big trucks full of fresh picked fruit everywhere right. and there's like stands with like where you can stop and get fruit cups and everything else everywhere and uh, it's it's great. It's one of my favorite things. They're amazing. And there's great, there's great things like that too in Latin America and, and all over the world. Um, there's lots of opportunities like that. So that's the idea with food is bringing it into the neighborhood. Okay. Water management, uh, waste management, transportation, food. What's up next? Uh, neighborhood design is one. So neighborhood design is really thinking about how the environment, and I don't mean the natural environment, but the actual built natural, the whole kind of surrounding external area. How does it feel? And so a lot of that is thinking about the use of art or the use of beautification. So, you know, maybe it's tree-lined streets or maybe it's, um, you know... We need more Banksies. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe <laughs> more Banksies or things like that. Or In some neighborhoods, there's actually a really cool neighborhood that I ride by here where they built, they built a box. Uh, it just looks like a little mailbox, just slightly larger than, and people just bring... It's a library for the neighborhood. Like, people bring their books, they put it in the mailbox... And they exchange a book and they take the other book and they read it and they bring it back. And so it's this house, this little block of, you know, 20 houses that decided to do this. So that's cool. It's that idea of like these cool design concepts that you can do to kind of influence, um, again, opportunities for people to pursue happiness or to identify with the neighborhood, too, you know, so. Along with the, uh, the, the 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 Detroit housing project that I mentioned is kind of that's an example. That's of right. This, right. Yeah, that's right. Just kind of thinking really about how the environment feels. And, and one thing that you want to be sure that, that doesn't happen there is that you're not bringing your, your feel, you know, how the neighborhood feels to you as, as it feels to the residents. I think we've all been guilty of turning into a neighborhood that we thought was the wrong neighborhood to be in or something like that, right? And it turns out that that's not the wrong neighborhood for the people that live there. To them, that's home. And so... If you go so you can't go everywhere. You're like, I'm from New Hampshire. That's Everyone's right. got to get on the New Hampshire that's right. way of life. That's right. That's exactly <laughs> Down right. in Guatemala. That's exactly right. And that's something that, that it it's, sounds funny, but people are guilty of doing that all the time, bringing their kind of... Well, this is it's just like part world. of human nature. I that's think, right. Yeah, I, I read a book and... And this is now this is the most important book and everyone needs to read it right away. I'm telling all my friends and you're crazy if you don't read this. And meanwhile, a year goes by. I've forgotten everything about it. It's, it turns out it wasn't the most important thing. In that's the world. exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. So getting that that local knowledge is really important, too. Um, all right. Water management, waste management, transportation, food, neighborhood design. Buildings, so buildings, green buildings, or just buildings in general, buildings and infrastructure. So thinking about, you know, we spend, I forget the exact number, but it's some huge, like 90% of our time in buildings, indoors. Um, and there's lots of health connections there, you know, with with the indoor air quality and daylighting and um, just the way you feel with it being within a building. And so this takes this concept of sustainable design 
to another level to really think about how people feel in the building and interact within the building. Um, and I saw the coolest thing ever yeah. recently. I don't sure. know how sustainable this is, and it's probably like it looks great on paper. I don't know how happy it will actually make people. I don't know if it's Dubai or something like that. They they are are constructing this skyscraper, and each level rotates so that every single person can have a three hundred and sixty degree view. You know, depending on the time of the day. <laughs> Or, or whatever else you, you know, it, it's like, oh, you have a really nice view of this over here. If you're in an apartment building and different apartment has a nicer view of this, well, it, it's rotating all of the time. And ju- just like they have these restaurants or whatever that, that people will go to. But I thought that was the that coolest. Sounds pretty, that sounds pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I hadn't heard about that. That's, that's, I mean, I guess that's another, it's, that is another concept to kind of build upon is how that how that building would make people feel, you know, and that design of that building. And so um, there's a study that I always talk about where they were looking at efficiency of workers and, and we tend to, the cubicle is a very kind of American thing where we like to put everybody in cubicles and, and stick them in um, isolated spaces. And they actually found that people that worked in open spaces with views of all their coworkers and things like that were more productive, efficient, and and I tended to report themselves to be happier than our cubicle counterparts. And so, well, they're just productive because you can't get on Facebook. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're being policed by everyone. Else. I don't know if that's, that, that might, might be. be a little nerve wracking yeah, too yeah. in a certain regard. <laughs> well, I don't think it's that open. You know, I think you should, you could see over your, it's just, it might still be a cubicle, but you can see over right. it and see things around. And also, um, you know, there's views of nature and things like that too. So you can see beyond your cubicle and see outside and see daylight and see green space or whatever it might be. Um, and that's something to really think about. And so I think about that in houses here in Tempe, you know, the older houses tend to be cinder block construction with small windows and you go inside and you just kind of feel, you don't feel connected with the outdoors and you feel kind of isolated. And so that really matters when you start to think about buildings. And then also, there's the cultural component, you know, how do we design these buildings that identify with you from a culturally um, relevant way, in a culturally relevant way. All right. Uh, water management, waste management, transportation, food, neighborhood design, buildings and infrastructure. That's one. Yeah, buildings okay. and infrastructure typically one. And that's one, yeah. two, three, four, five, six. We have a few more to go, right? Yeah, there's uh, business and economic development. And so that's Lots of the obvious connections, people need income, people need a job, um, and that all boils down to having a sense of purpose, right? And so you need to be able to bring in money for the family, and you need to also be able to feel like you have some value in the world and some place in the world. But it's it's taking it to a different level, and so, for instance, in a neighborhood that we might work in, we might start thinking about what's what's a local opportunity for some for uh, economic development opportunities, and maybe that's like the old days where people manufactured textiles and they hung them out on their front fence and sold them, or maybe someone had a local bakery in the neighborhood. And, um, and again, that comes back down to what residents desire and what they'd like to see in their neighborhood too. And this can be inclusive of the infrastructure too. That's I mean, right. this, this can be, if, if we're emboldening people's sense of pride in, in their community and, and changing the infrastructure is a part of that pride and then getting a job working on this now, instead of just this nine to five, that's seemingly meaningless and you don't get to actually see any of this payoff, um, uh, now you're actually building 
for work, you're building up and making your community better. That's right. Yeah, that's really what it is. And so it's self, it's, it's uh, this idea of economic development from within as well. Okay, water management, waste management, transportation, food, neighborhood design, buildings and infrastructure, economic development, and energy management. And so thinking about how um, our energy sources come to us, you know, how, how does energy come to us? And so this is, again, uh, sustainable energy. There's health benefits to it, right? There's uh, higher costs associated with it sometimes. Uh, it's starting to get more competitive. But it's really thinking about how the local neighborhood energy energy kind of production systems influence the people within. And so one one group of students that I have working with me now is looking at how trees, uh, shade trees basically offer residents opportunities to save money by, you know, shading their houses from the extreme sun in Phoenix and reducing the heat island effect within the neighborhood. And so that's one aspect of it. And so you start to think about, when you think about energy production and sustainability, you're, you're typically thinking about just how it's produced, but you're not really thinking about how it affects the end user always, right? And so now you're starting to take it to a new level, thinking about the end user and thinking about things like that. And do solar panels on a roof make sense for somebody? Um, Financially, they might make sense in 10 years, but is that going to make sense for them in the immediate? And, and also, you know, what influences that have on their well-being? Some people like tend to, to be happier just to have that on their roof and, and uh, say that that's something they're proud of. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm I'm big into the solar myself. There's sure. this there's this guy, um, Solar Roadways, it's called. I started following him on Facebook. I think I saw it in Popular Science or something like almost eight nine years ago i was like one of the first followers i used to like write and to him and everything well now they're quite uh, uh it's it's starting to take off but the idea is is that you have all of this space that's already being used so it'd start with like sidewalks or something and you just turn these sidewalks into load-bearing solar panels and now this area that's already taking up space is now collecting energy and they have i don't know exactly how it all works but there's like generators nearby that are collecting the energy and and dispersing it too so if it was the if the sidewalks were right outside this building it would be for energy for this building so you're not losing a lot of the energy in the in the transportation um of it and uh and i i just and right now he's in like the prototype phase of all of it and it seems like it's passing some process but stuff like that i just get so excited about people seem to be a little bit bummed out about solar right now there's like the big hubbub about whatever obama i don't know much about it some obama project that went under with solar panels or something like that where they invested a bunch of money is probably just a little bit ahead of its time or whatever we're just not there with the technology just yet but it's like I think people don't understand that all of the energy we get comes from the sun in one way or another. It's it's just that the, that energy is converted into plants, which is eaten by animals, which then eventually gets into us. And it's a roundabout way where solar panels just collects energy right from the source where we're getting all the energy from. It's like, it makes, it makes so much sense. I, yeah, whatever. That's, this is not my, that's not my area of expertise. And right. But again, it's one of those things that makes sense, but uh, it's not been widely accepted yet. And so, again, like you said, it could be an issue of technology. It could be that the time's just not right. But boiling it back down to well-being and happiness for me is a way to really kind of 
um, talk with people and see what, what it is that really is uh, inhibiting that decision to kind of move forward with it. And then if we understand that, then how might we design systems to make it so that it's easier to accept? Um, so I told you that I would only have you for an hour here. Can we go a little sure. bit over yeah, yeah, do a fine. few extra minutes? Yep. Just, uh, I want to cover the, sure. the rest of the, the subjects here. There's just what, one more. Yep. One more. It's community governance. Oh, what's that? So that's the idea of, uh, neighborhood policies or maybe not even policies, just, uh, helping, helping residents to come together and, and, uh, organize and, you know, develop their own meetings or whatever they would like to do to kind of help them form, uh, connections within. And so community governance is a really important one. Whenever you think about governance, people think about overarching policies from city and federal, but there's also things that you can do in the neighborhood, like, hosting a, a monthly barbecue, you know, that could be a policy in, in, in a neighborhood or a block or um, having some anti-litter litter group that goes around and picks up trash in the neighborhood once a month, things like that. And so it's this idea of bringing people together within the neighborhood, helping them to, um, I guess, coalesce and, and around some common interest and common theme and um, moving forward. And so the idea with this is, how might you develop these kind of organizations within neighborhoods to promote change on the ground, but to also be an example for city and federal government to say, hey, look at these people that are you know, putting things together and addressing some of these issues themselves, but also they're, they're talking about the things that are relevant to them in their neighborhood. And so the city can say, you know, that, well, there's a great example of this, of, of a local city that just went into a neighborhood and picked up all the trash around the neighborhood thinking that like this would be a great thing to say we picked up all the trash and the residents were pissed because the problem was not the trash laying around the neighborhood it was the reasons that the trash was being thrown around the neighborhood right so there's like some social stigma underlying that and so if there's these neighborhood groups that are working together on those issues the city can collaborate with those groups together to kind of address some big big picture problems and again it comes down to if I'm addressing your problems and your issues, it's definitely going to make you feel uh, valued and heard, which will lead to feeling happier. That uh, That's amazing. I mean, I've always kind of, I, I, I've thought, I hope that becomes like the new church or whatever, because a lot of people are, you know, evolution sort of a thing. <laughs> We're kind of all catching sure. up to that. Um, but as we mentioned earlier, community is such an important thing. And it would be it would be great to just have people like you said, barbecue, but even just to talk about uh, right. what life is like and how to make it better. I've, I've looked in, uh, I was like, oh, maybe I should go off and, and start doing this and participating in this stuff. And I tried Googling stuff like in Malibu at the time where I was, and it was like, oh, I can go. I guess there's some weird thing at City Hall, and it's like, it's so specific. It's like some weird, they're going to be talking about some proposition that's like some technical thing that I don't care about or understand. And it wasn't, it wasn't very inviting at all. And I really had to go out of my way to find this little thing that no one would be interested in. But there wasn't anything like for me, really, just looking to, hey, I want to like get together with people and talk about what life is like around here. Sure. Yeah, I think the easiest way to do that is just start, you know, with the four or five or six houses immediately around you or if your apartments, you know, the apartments around you and start your own group where you get together once a month and you talk about, you know, how you feel about the neighborhood and if there's any issues or what are the strengths and 
those kind of things you can work on. And, and typically it's always great to bond around food. So just get together, have a barbecue, have a potluck and just chat and get to know each other. And honestly, again, like I said at the beginning of the talk is it's, it boils down to being connected in, in your social group, like just having a social group that you belong to. And so I think all of us can admit that when we come home to a neighbor that we know or that we feel connected with, it makes you feel pretty good to come home to something like that. Other than when you come home to a neighborhood where you don't know anybody and you just walk into your house, you know, it's just nice to say hi and, and feel like you have a place in that, that neighborhood. Yeah. And community can mean anything too. Right. Yep. I mean, there's like a comedy community, yeah, that's you right. know, that isn't in one place. That's it's right. I'm out and about and I'm meeting other comedians and we have this stuff in common. And especially one of my favorite and one of most comics favorite things in the entire world is there's like comedy festivals. Like there's this great one in Portland, Bridgetown comedy festival which i'm not doing this year but i've done just about every year it's existed and usually it's like 120 of some of the best comics in the country are all in one city for like a week just doing all these random shows we're usually not really making any money or anything off of it or maybe just a little it's definitely like not worth it from an economic perspective but everyone does it because it's just the most amazing thing and it's all all your peers and and uh and so i mean there there's a million different things that people can do on their own level to find um people that are into the same sort of stuff that they're into whether it's a softball league or a a board game i i started doing board game nights in my house in la recently and uh and it's it's just a it's a cool yeah they're fun thing yeah that's right so i mean if you can't find it you can do it yourself too um, well, thank you, Scott. What, what's, uh, before we get out of here, what is the charity of the week? Sure. It's the, uh, Ramsey social justice foundation. And so that was started by, um, Jenny Norton and Bob Ramsey, who are literally two saints on the earth who focus on, um, you know, this idea of social justice and they're typically, uh, very interested in sustainability. And so they've done, 50 something, um, sustainable lead neighborhood, lead buildings in, in various areas around the Valley of Phoenix. Uh, and they just do great things all over the world. They're, they're the driving force behind some of our work in Guatemala and some of the work locally in Tempe too, as well. And, um, without, without them, I think that, uh, a lot of this visionary work that's going on in Phoenix would not be happening necessarily. So excellent organization. That's fantastic. And as always, everybody, you can go to the herewearepodcast.com website in, in Scott's episode. I'll have a link at the bottom so you can find out more. And you can also, you'll also be able to find out more about Scott's work. Thank you, Scott Cloutier. Uh, Got it. Woo! Yeah, you did Thank it. you, yeah. Scott Cloutier, for coming on the program. I, I butcher every single person's last great. name. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks ridiculous. for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Please, just one more reminder. Please, please, please go and support my good friend, Zach Sherwin. The wonderful theme song that you have, he did that for me, for you guys. And um, so, so yeah, he supports this show, so please go and support him. And uh, if, if you haven't taken the time to check out his stuff already um, and you don't know who Zach Sherwin is, you may know Epic Rap Battles of History. Uh, they're these amazing, wonderful um, YouTube videos that get hundreds of millions of hits um, where 
It's it's like Albert Einstein rap battling Stephen Hawking and all this. Uh, it's a whole lot of fun. He he works for them and is in a lot of the videos and often writes both parts in the videos that he's in. He's uh, impressive, impressive talent. So please go and check out Zach Sherwin, ZachSherwin.com, and check out his new album, Rap, and write them. Tell them uh, you heard about it on the show. Tell them how much you enjoy his stuff. And uh, thank you guys for listening. Next week on the program um, is Michael Angeletta. Back, this, this guy lined up so many of my guests for me at the Arizona State University because we hit it off at... Uh, a scientist barbecue a while back and so next week we talk about uh he, he's an evolutionary biologist we talk about how climate change um ha- is affecting some species and um all sorts of uh, you know evolutionary biology stuff um some some of these same topics that we've been talking about we're going to keep building on some of those ideas with next week's program so i will talk to you then I'm Dave Ross. Hey, and I'm Hampton Yunt. And we host Suicide Buddies on Starburns Audio. That's right. It's a podcast about suicide, but not to make light of it. We actually talk about suicidal thoughts, depression, kind of with a sense of levity that Dave and I have with each other. And he's my best friend. Come on. Yeah, we're buddies. <laughs> suicide Buddies. <laughs> That's the title. One of our favorite episodes that we've recorded so far is about this guy, Jan Pataki, who was a Polish aristocrat in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, one of the reasons... It's possible that he killed himself <laughs> is that he thought he was a werewolf. Oh. Check out a clip. It also makes me think, like, we were talking about in the Norway uh, black metal episode, how, like, just the culture of your surroundings can affect you. Like, yeah. he's in a castle in Poland. He's Like, I mean, if yeah. you lived in a castle in Poland and no one knew anything about anything, you might be like, I'm a bat. I'm probably a bat. <laughs> 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 That's like literally what happened to Batman. <laughs> he literally is in his mansion. He's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I'm a, a bat. bat. I'm a bat. I'm a <laughs> bat. I'm a, I'm I'm a bat. bat that helps people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bat that helps people. I'm a, I'm a rich... I don't know what you want from me. And uh, my, and my a... girlfriend, she's a cat. She's a cat. My she, girlfriend's she, a cat. She steals things. She's a woman who steals things. She's a cat. I'm a bat. I'm a bat. I help people. She's a cat. We fight a penguin. My. Uh, my... <laughs> <laughs>